iPods and every other mechanical device that you have with you. Amen. We're thankful tonight. Uh, but let's say First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 together. We all know it, don't we? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Isn't that a powerful verse? If you stop and think about the implications of that verse, it is uh, overwhelming because he says in everything, not for everything. Because as we shared Sunday, not everything that happens to you and me has flowed from the will of God. We live in a devil-infested and sin-infected world. And so things happen all the time that did not flow out of the highest will of God for us. But God has a will for us in everything that happens. He really does. Now, so we don't thank him for everything, but in the presence and in the midst of everything, we give thanks. Now, that takes training. That's difficult. And I think the greatest example of that verse is the man the Holy Spirit used to write it, the Apostle Paul. I call Paul the attitude king. His attitude blows me away. His ability to always have a positive, faith-filled attitude. No matter what happened to him, no matter what life threw at him, he refused. What you could not do with Paul, you could whip him, you could throw him in jail, but you could not take his attitude down. He always had a victorious, upbeat, optimistic, unbeatable attitude. So I call him the attitude king. He's the attitude king. I don't think that I've ever read of anyone in all of history with the attitude of thanksgiving that Paul had. In everything, give thanks. His attitude of gratitude carried him through everything hell could throw at him and hell threw everything at him. But he kept an attitude of gratitude, not necessarily this way, horizontally, but he always kept it vertically towards God. In everything, be thankful. Why? Because this is God's will concerning you. I'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, that be you. Now, that's, not, that's a verse you don't need to pray about. That's a verse you don't need to wrestle with. That's a verse to be obeyed. He's not suggesting, he's commanding. And so I got to thinking about this attitude that he had. And I really do believe that most people don't worry about attitude because they don't see the importance of it, having an attitude of gratitude. But let me tell you a couple of things about attitude. Your attitude is the lens through which you view life. Whatever your attitude is about life, about God, about other people, that attitude is like a lens that covers your eyes. And out of that lens, you view life. Every one of us in here tonight have an attitude. It's either an up attitude, positive attitude, good attitude, or it's down, negative, and self-defeating. But you've got one or the other. Your attitude has a lot to say about your future whether your future is going to be sweet or sour. It's really not so much what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to you. And I'll tell you what decides that, your attitude. 
Your attitude is the result of how you've responded. Here's where an attitude comes from. It's a result of how you've responded to the tough times God allowed into your life. How did you respond to adversity? And an attitude is formed and shaped by a thousand different responses over time to adversity. For years, I used to minister in in the jails. And I'm going to tell you something. I never, ever, ever met a juvenile delinquent in jail, in the juvenile home, never met one that didn't have an attitude. Angry, life owes me, I was born into a bad situation, don't like authority. I never met a juvenile in juvenile home that didn't have a chip on or really a two-by-four on his shoulder. It was an attitude. And I'm going to tell you, that attitude most of the time is what got them in there. If you respond positively to adversity in your life, every time you say, praise God, I trust God, I'm not going to get bitter, I'm going to get better. I'm not going to walk around saying, born under a bad sign, everybody's against me. I'm not going to cop an attitude. Every time you respond with a positive, upbeat response, you are building the house of attitude. And every time you respond negatively to adversity, why'd God let this happen? You get bitter, you get angry, you get self-pity, always walking around playing a violin. We know you're coming because we've heard the violin before. Every time you respond that way, you're building the house of attitude. Brick by brick, choice by choice, response by response, until finally the house of attitude you've built defeats you, sours life for you, and robs you every day. Bad or good, your attitude shows in your posture, it shows in your countenance, It shows in your attire, how you dress. It shows in your eyes. It shows in your words. And it shows in your walk, your attitude. I can look at somebody for 60 seconds and see if they've got a negative attitude about life. It's all over their countenance, all over their face, all over their posture, all over the way they carry themselves. And you know how I know that? Because I once was there. All the pictures of me when I was a young teenager from our family, I'm just staring down at the ground, not smiling, playing my violin. Life so tough, so bad, so bad, so bad, so bad. And that's why I'm the delinquent that I am. If it wasn't for everything out here, I wouldn't be this way. And I had an attitude. And I'm going to tell you, God whooped that out of me. And I'm so glad he did. Your attitude, watch this, your attitude of gratitude, your attitude, whatever it is, negative or positive, can take you to the top or to the bottom, can make you poor or make you successful, can bless you or destroy you. Your attitude can open doors, open doors, or shut them. Your attitude can make you a loser or a winner, can take you to the top of the corporate ladder or your attitude can land you in prison. If not a physical prison, a prison of your own making. 
Attitude, watch this, is not inherited and it's not the result of environment. You can't say, well, my attitude's negative this way because of what I was raised in. See, I learned a long time ago, attitude's a choice. Now I want you to say with me, attitude is a choice. See, you can, you can make the choice to have a positive attitude, a thankful attitude, a good attitude, and you'll bless your own life with it. But nobody's going to make you have one, and nobody's going to make you have a bad one. And I know this because I've met too many people who were raised in adversity, but they have positive attitudes. I'm going to tell you something, young people, teenagers that are in here. You get a negative attitude, you get an angry attitude, a sour attitude, and all you're doing is cursing your own life. But you get a positive one where you smile and you greet people and you're thankful and grateful and doors will swing open for you every time you turn around. So choose your attitude carefully. It's the one thing you take with you everywhere you go. Amen? Listen to what Proverbs 16, 32 says. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit, and we could just insert attitude there. He who rules his attitude is stronger than he who takes a city. So can you say with me, my attitude is a choice. Now let me give you today, real quickly, three incentives to, to cultivating a thankful attitude. Because this is Thanksgiving. Isn't it funny? We need, a, we need a holiday during the year to remind us to do something the Bible told us to do a long time ago. Be thankful. A thankful attitude, here's one incentive. Here's one good reason to cultivate a thankful attitude. A thankful attitude delivers you from the trap of a murmuring tongue. John Mason said, A life of complaining is the ultimate rut. A complaining spirit is first a caller, then a guest, and finally a master. You begin to complain and murmur and cop an attitude, and one day you choose to be that way, but after a while it rules you. You don't know how to get out of it because you've done it so long. An incentive to having a thankful attitude is it will deliver you from a complaining tongue. Romans 121 tells us that thanklessness was the attitude stowed away in the hearts of those who plunged into depravity in the ancient world. It said they didn't give God the glory, neither were they thankful. And then the Bible talks about how they went down from there. Murmuring and complaining kept an entire generation locked out of the promised land. The words of their mouth became shovels. Their tongues became shovels that dug their own graves and then covered them up. And a whole generation did not cross over. You know why? Not because of Moses, not because of the giants, not because of the devil, not for any other reason but the words of their mouth and their attitude. Man! A little boy was asked by his father to say grace at the table. While the family waited, the little guy eyed every dish of food his mother had prepared, scanned it, looked it over real good. And after the examination, he bowed his head and honestly prayed, 
Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I thank you for it, and I'll eat it anyway. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's honest, isn't it? Now, I learned something from that little guy. You know what I learned from that? The thankful attitude, when you get a thankful attitude, it looks at some of the unsavory things of life, and it says, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I'm going to thank you in it anyway. And when you can do that, when you can do that, and that's not easy to do, but when you can do that, you're on the road to building the house of attitude with the words of your mouth and the decisions of your heart. One marriage counselor I wrote about, I read about this week, a marriage counselor wrote this. Gratitude takes practice and it takes time. Gratitude, she went on to say, has to have some kind of base under it. If you just decide to be grateful and you have no base under it, you can do it for a little while, but something invariably comes up hits you in the face, and out the window it goes. Your decision to have a positive attitude. If you're going to be thankful, like Paul said, you've got to have a base. You've got to have a reason. You've got to have something you are basing that decision on. Now, church, I've got to tell you, I don't know how people out there without Christ, I don't know how they do it. Well, I know partly how they do it. To get away from the pain of it. They smoke it. They drink it, they shoot it, they snort it because they can't take the pain of it. Life without God. But as for me, my base for being thankful is God Himself and His Word. And I believe if we can remember the blessings of God, if we can just remember the blessings of God, and if you have nothing else to thank him for, just be thankful that he's there and saved you. Let me give you a couple of things for which you can always be thankful. You can be thankful, number one, you can be thankful that you receive what you did not deserve. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can be thankful that, Lord, I didn't deserve it, but you gave it to me, so I'm thankful that I got what I did not deserve. Amen? Here's the second thing you can be thankful for. You can be thankful you did not receive what you did deserve. You can always be thankful for that. You can always be abundantly thankful that only you and God have all the facts about you. Aren't you glad God does not gossip? Come on, everybody. Aren't you glad God doesn't gossip? If God gossiped, I'd head for the hills. But thank God his love covers. Amen? So we can be thankful that we got what we did not deserve and we did not get what we did deserve and we can be thankful that God doesn't gossip. Thank God for his blessing. Can we just say thank you, Jesus? That you gave me what I did not deserve. And you withheld from me what I did deserve. Give him a hand of praise.
Last thing I want to say about Thanksgiving is thankfulness enhances your fellowship with God. Just being thankful. You know, uh, today, you know, this has been a, 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 not an easy thing to work through this building. Uh, it's been a good thing, but it hasn't been an easy thing. And uh, lots of detail, you know, and you know a lot of it. But and you don't know most of it, but you know enough to know that it hasn't been an easy thing. Now, I was kind of feeling stressed today. And I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I went into the bedroom, shut the door, and I just began to thank God. I said, Lord, I'm not going to ask you for anything. I'm just going to begin to thank you. I thank you that you're on the way. I thank you that we're about to get blessed. I thank you that you have seen us this far and you're going to see us the rest of the way. I thank you that you're a good God and you're never going to leave me, never going to fail me, never going to forsake me, never going to walk out on me, never going to turn your back on me. I thank you that you're bigger than every devil that's ever come against me. You're bigger bigger than flesh, bigger than any human being, bigger than any evil person. You are bigger God than this city. I thank you, Lord, that you are the providential leader and guide of the universe there's nobody greater than you nobody stronger than you nobody that's got the up on you you are the almighty providential God I thank you for it and in my room I began to have a benefit now those people have a lot of fits you know that they have anger fits they have depression fits they have fear fits believers ought to be having some benefits and you have a benefit when you thank God for what he has done thankfulness enhances your fellowship with God let us come before his presence with thanksgiving the psalmist said, and enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Uh, but you know what? Not just for one day out of the year. This is spiritual survival. This is how you survive. It's how you survive. And so we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper. Are we ready, man? And uh, I'm going to ask you all to go ahead and just begin to uh, pass those out. And I've asked two of our men in the church uh, to come up and, and are going to read a couple of verses about... Uh, Communion and what led up to communion in the Bible. What is this that we do? Communion. What does it mean? So I'm going to ask George to come up. And Frank, where are you? All right. Come on, Frank. And um, I want us to have understanding as a church as to why we do what we do. What is communion about? So I believe you were first, George. And if you have your Bible with you, uh, why don't you tell them where, where they can read, George, and um, let's, let's let the Lord speak to us now out of his word. We'll be reading from uh, Exodus 12, verse 21 through 27. It says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. 
for the Lord will pass through the, and to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer. Now read that last part again, George, real clear and loud. I want everybody to catch this. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this surface. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. All right, now notice that's Old Testament. And we all know the story. And God was preparing the way, teaching his people that it was by blood they were going to be delivered. And so when the angel saw the blood over the doorposts of every home, he passed over and no judgment came on that house. So what was God pointing to? Frank's about to read that. So go ahead and read that, Frank. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said to them, This is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus said, this is the blood of the, what kind of covenant, everybody? New. So in the Old Testament, there they were putting blood, the blood of a lamb, over their doorposts. And the the angel of judgment passed over. Now Jesus is saying in the new covenant, my blood, my blood, not the blood of an animal, my blood is the blood of the new covenant. And what is he saying? Anybody who has this blood over their life, judgment will pass over. Judgment will pass over. Because judgment is coming to this world. And if that blood is not over the door of your heart, if you haven't put faith in Christ, judgment is coming. But if you have applied that blood through faith in what Jesus did, then judgment will pass over you, and you have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Amen? So we're going to stand together tonight, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you have not received the elements, raise your hand, and we'll get them to you quickly. If you have them, all right. I want you to look at this bread here. This bread represents the body of Jesus whipped, beaten, bruised, bloodied, so that you and I could be healed. And so let's hold it right up to heaven and say, Lord, thank you for giving your back to the whip that with those stripes I would be healed. I receive my healing, body, soul, and spirit. Amen. Now we have also the cup. 
How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus? Oh, what a blessing. Where would we be without that blood? Jesus said also, he took the cup saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's hold it up and say, Lord, thank you for shedding your blood for my forgiveness. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tom Autry, lead us in a song and bless us with a song. And let's worship for a moment, everybody. Let's just worship the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Your Holy Spirit, draw me. 